So they bring him before Saul. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged. Your servant will go out and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied to David, you aren't able to go against the Philistine and fight him. You are just a boy. He has been a warrior from his youth. And David replied to Saul, your servant has been a shepherd of his father's flock. And whenever a lion or a bear would come out and carry off his sheep with the flock, I would go out and after it and strike it down and rescue him with the sheep from his mouth. If it rose up against me, I would grab it by its jaws, strike it, and kill it. And your servant has struck down both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David went on to say that Yahweh who delivered me from the lion and the bear will also deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Then Saul said to David, Go, Yahweh be with you. Now what do you learn about David? He trusts God. Do you know how hard it is to destroy and kill a lion all by yourself with your bare hands? To rip it apart with your bare hands? The only time we've ever seen that happen is with Samson. It was because the Spirit of Yahweh was upon him. You know the only way this boy could have done that is the Spirit is upon him. And then David even tells you, I was able to do it because... And the lion and the Philistine is no different because God is... Who does that remind you of? It doesn't matter who the enemy is if God is with us. Jonathan. It doesn't matter if we're just two people or an entire army. God can do it. And David sounds exactly like Jonathan. And he's giving all glory to God. He knows that he can do anything with God with him. He gives all the previous battles credit to Yahweh. But at the same time, he wants a reward. What do you do with this guy? But who does he really sound like, though? us. David's human. Have you not really truly lovingly done things for the right reason to help people and to be obedient to God? But there's still a part of you who wants something? You, you really truly were serving God and going out and attending to people's needs and it really meant a lot to you and you really wanted to do it. But then they list all the people who helped out in that ministry at church and they forget to mention you and you're like, what? I was there too. They totally forgot me. That's not right. You wouldn't care if you were completely perfect. Or when you've held the door open for somebody and they treat you like crap and you're like, that's the last time I'm going to do that for you. No, you would keep doing it again and again even if they spit in your face every single time if you're truly altruistic. How do I know? Because that's what Jesus did. And you really truly think about any of your ministries, anything that you do at church. And you're really there for the right reasons, and you're sacrificing a lot. But when people tell you how good a job you are, and you're like, it goes to your head. There's some pride there, right? And you're battling that. And if you're not aware of that, you need to do a lot of praying because it is happening. Because we are neither completely evil, wicked people who are so narcissistic that we never think about anybody else, nor are we completely altruistic that we're doing everything 100% just for the benefit of anybody else and never thinking about ourselves. We are the image of God that has been defiled. And it's all wrapped up, the pride, the arrogance. At the same time, we really truly are serving God and wanting to do things for him and helping other people. And, and, and until you really get on your knees and you really analyze and really pray about what's happening, you don't see how muddy those waters really are. And what the narrator is doing is, is introducing you to a very real human. Yes, he is going out there for God. 
Yes, he's giving all credit to God. Yes, he knows he can't do without God. But he also likes the rewards. He likes the pats on the backs. He likes getting the promotions for being a good whatever. He is a very real human. And this is what makes David so attractive to us. Because he's not completely evil that we can't relate to him, like a Saul. He's not completely like noble, like a Moses that we can't relate to. He's a mixed bag. And he's not going to be easily dissected because human nature is not easily that separated, black and white. What you need to do is pay attention to what he does. Notice that the first time Saul says something, he says, and may Yahweh go with you. Now, how often does Saul say that? He only talks about Yahweh after David has talked about Yahweh. And then he replies, but it feels empty. And it feels really empty when you find out that he does what? What's the first thing he does after he says, okay, you can fight him. He puts all of his armor on him. Is that the point that David just made? You know, the reason I was able to defeat the lions is because I had the latest and greatest spears and swords with me. And I had the best armor that is completely lion-tooth proof. He said, with my bare hands, I was able to defeat the lion because Yahweh. And I can do the Philistine too. And, and Saul's like, amen, brother. Totally with you in that message. Here's a bunch of battle armor and the latest technology now. This will help you defeat the enemy. He completely missed the point of the message. He completely missed the point of the message. That's like the most frustrating thing when I like give something and then people come up to me later and I'm like, that's not what I said. That was not the point. Saul is completely shallow. David might be arrogant, but at least he's got his good theology. Then Saul clothed David with his own fighting attire and put a bronze helmet on his head and he also put body armor on him. And David strapped on his sword over his fighting attire and tried to walk around, but he was not used to them. It does not say that David was a small boy looking like a doofus with overgrown armor on him. The narrator never, ever, ever says he's small. And all those like cartoons and stuff and David's like this little kid flopping around. That's not what it says. Nowhere is David's height ever mentioned. What it says is that he, and, and Saul's not dumb enough to put a grown man armor on a small boy and think he can fight that way. I mean, Saul might be a ding-dong, but that's just stupid. You've got to give them credit. It never says that David was small. It says that he was not used to the armor. And if you've ever had armor on, there's a lot of getting used to it. You can't just like run. You have to get really used to it and function, all that kind of stuff. And the point is he's an experience. He's not a battlefield warrior, even though he might be a field warrior. And he doesn't know how to operate with this armor. And the fact that Saul thinks that it might actually fit him, and it seems that it does fit him, suggests that David might actually be tall like Saul. Maybe not as tall but tall enough for Saul to think this armor will fit him. So the point is not that he was a small boy walking around with overgrown clothes. The point is that he's not used to it because he's not a experienced warrior, which is fitting more into this theme of David has no real qualifications to fight this guy. He has no real qualifications except for he believes that Yahweh is with him.
So David said to Saul, I can't walk in these things, for I am not used to them. So David removed them, and he took his staff in his hand and picked up five smooth stones from the stream, placed them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag, and took his sling in his hand and approached the Philistine. He uses what he's used to. The Philistine kept coming closer to David with his shield bearer and walking in front of him. Now, why is Goliath walking closer and closer and closer? What is Goliath's weapon? A sword. So why is he getting closer to David? He's, he wants to fight hand-to-hand in combat, right? And David keeps backing up. He's like, wait a minute, what are you doing? When the Philistines looked carefully at David, he despised him, for he was only a ruddy and handsome boy. The Philistines said to David, like, think Dennis the Menace. That's kind of what he's describing. Not totally great, handsome high school college boy yet, but a ruddy little boy. Am I a dog that you were coming at me with sticks? Like, fight me like a man. Grab a sword, come at me and fight me like a man. Instead, you've got these rocks, like some little boy going at a dog. Then the Philistines cursed David by his gods. And the Philistines said to David, Come here to me, so I can give you the flesh of the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the field. Now, notice he cursed them by his gods. And what has David just said about how he will have victory? Yahweh. And then he's going to go into a diatribe about Yahweh. And the narrator's now telling you what is the real issue in this story. Whose God is more powerful? This is not the underdog taking down the giant because he's the American dream. Pull yourself up from your bootstraps and use your intelligence and skill to do that. This is a battle of the gods. That's the real point of this passage. And Goliath is cursing David by his own gods, and David is trusting in Yahweh. And the question is, what God is really, truly legit? That's the real question here. The Philistines said to David, come here with me, and I can give you the flesh. Oh, yeah, where are you? But David replied to the Philistine, you are coming against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I am coming against you in the name of Yahweh, of hosts. Now, remember, hosts is the military army of God of Israel's armies, whom you have defied. It doesn't matter that I'm all by myself against your army, because I have the armies of God. This very day, Yahweh will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Oh, wait a minute, David. You were doing so well. You're talking about how God will give you victory. You're talking about how you can... And then you go on and say, and I'm going to... Why do you cut somebody's head off? Who does that? The Canaanites. Did God ever approve of mutilation? And the only reason you would take a head is as a trophy, which is pride, reward. See how this is all mixed together? It's so easy to just focus on, I can do it because of God's with me. God, 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 God. And we see all that and we think David's an awesome guy, but we miss these little subtle comments here. And we might even be doing it with people in our church. <laughs> Missing all those little subtle comments. Because sometimes I think we hear what we want to hear. And we miss what people are really saying. I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will strike... Um, and this day I will give the corpse of the Philistine army to the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the land. And then all the land will be re- realized that Israel has, has a God. Right there. I'm doing this so that everybody knows who really is God. But I also want my own personal trophy. Just like when Gideon says, and when we go in the battle, shout for Gideon in it or for Yahweh in 
for Gideon. <laughs> it's for Yahweh, but I want everybody to know that I was in it too. So he's looking a lot like a Gideon too. Notice and understand the previous judges is important for understanding this. And all this assembly will know that this is not by sword or spear that Yahweh saves, for the battle is in Yahweh, and he will deliver you into our hand. The Philistine drew steadily closer to David to attack him. And when David quickly ran toward the battle line to attack the Philistine, David reached his hand into the bag and took out the stone. He slung it, struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank deeply into his forehead, obviously cracking his skull, and he fell down on his face to the ground. In some ways, now I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm just saying this is a reality. What did Goliath expect? Hand-to-hand combat. Did David play by the rules? No. So he stepped out. He uses clever and wit. Could he stand up against Goliath in hand-to-hand? No. Now, you would say, yeah, he could because God is with him, right? But at the same time, David was using what he's familiar with. This is the thing. Like, yes, you can do it with God and you can do anything. But God also gifted you in a certain way. And he's going to use you in that way. Right? And, he, and he uses your skills and your talents and the think ways that you're unique. And then he empowers that. Because God is not about just using you as some robot to manipulate you as a puppet in his life. Nor are you to just go on your own and do whatever you want and then just ask God to bless it afterwards. God wants a partnership. And he uses you in the way that he gifted you. He skilled you. He designed you. And then he empowers that. And that's what he does with David. But at the same time, David stepped out of the box. He's using his clever wit. But he's kind of cheating, too. So you remember Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? And, and, and Miriam, um, or, is, or she's getting kidnapped and taken away in that um, African place. And that big guy with a giant sword comes out. And he starts swinging around in front of Indy. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, he's so screwed. He's going to die. There's no way he can come with this. And then he's just like, what the heck? And he just pulls his gun out and shoots the guy down. That's exactly what just happened. Because if we know they actually did this. They've taken shepherd boys, like shepherd boys, over in Israel and Muslim countries. And they've taken these stones and slung And they've clocked these stones going over 100 miles an hour. That's a bullet. And they've been able to hit targets like the, the, the size of a balloon at like 50 yards away. And then the, the History Channel actually took a meter and had these people hit these meters with the stones. And they was hitting it with such an impact that they proved that the stone could actually go through the entire head. And these are from Shepherd Boys. So he has literally brought a gun to a knife fight which is what Sean Connery told you to do in The Untouchables. (laughs) He kind of steps out of the box, and he uses clever and wit just like Ehud. He's looking like all these judges, good and bad. David prevailed over the Philistine with just a sling in the stone. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. He's dead, battle done and over with. David did not even have a sword in his hand. And David ran and stood over the Philistine, grabbed Goliath's sword, drew it from his sheath, killed him, and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, he, they ran away. And he did exactly what he said. I can't remember if we talked about this, but remember, before the guillotine was invented, 
It would take the axe bearer beheading your head at least three or four shots before they got it off. David's got a sword. Now you've got a picture of this 13, 14 year old boy, the man of God, standing over this, this nine foot tall guy, and he's got the sword, and he's just hacking and hacking and hacking as blood is splattering up on him. Then like Medusa's head, he grabs it by the hair and hangs it up and shows it to everybody. And you're thinking, make that guy our pastor. <laughs> right? But that's what we do in Sunday class. Look at David. He did it with God. It's all God. He's a great kid. They don't have a flannel graph picture for that one. Okay? I, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a flannel graph of David holding this boy head. Throw that up on the board. There you go, kids. So, no, I, no, I won't. Don't worry. <laughs> you're like... That's bloody. That's gruesome. That's a trophy. And that's a Canaanite trophy. And he didn't just say he would do it. He actually did it. And I know that was a little graphic, but I wanted to be graphic because I want you to understand what's really going on. Because sometimes I think we just like whitewash these things and move on and think, yeah, but what? But if you really visualize what's happening, you're like, that's, wow. That's the man after God's own heart. I wouldn't call that a man after God's own heart. And you need to keep that in your mind because here's the question. Why is he called a man after God's own heart? Because right now you're thinking, wow, he did say a lot of things about God and he did give God glory, but could that all have been just lip service? I know a lot of people who can talk just like David did and there's nothing godly about them whatsoever. And so the question is, what's really going on with David here? Verse 52. Then the men of Israel and Judah charged forward, shouting at the battle cry, and they chased the Philistines of the valley, just like Jonathan after he defeated the Philistines, into the very gates of Ekron. The Philistines' courts laid fallen along the Asharian road of Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from their hot pursuit of the Philistines, they looted their camp, and David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put Goliath's weapons in his tent. Now that's important. What you would usually do is you would take the head and you put it on a rock and you would let all the flesh and everything rot off in the sun. The sun would then bleach the skull. Now remember, if this guy's nine foot tall, he might have a little bit bigger of a head. And then you would tie that to your horse or your donkey or your waist when you go into battle. Why would you do that? Because you're right in the battle and everybody use your enemy sees a larger than normal head hanging your side. And they're going to remember the stories. This is the guy who defeated Goliath and they're going to be afraid. Now, is that totally trusting in God for your victory? That's trusting in your feats to put fear in the hearts of the people. Now, how do we know David did this? Because we're told that he put it in Jerusalem. Now, you must understand Jerusalem is occupied by the Jebusites right now. Nobody who's an Israelite has ever been in Jerusalem. Nobody who's an Israelite would survive going in Jerusalem. Nobody would even just go into the city and just randomly put it in there and walk away. David will not conquer Jerusalem and make it his home until he's 40 years old in the book of Second Samuel, around chapter 4, 5, somewhere in there. Which means the narrator's telling you that he's going to carry this around on his waist for the next at least 25 years as he goes into battle. And then he's going to put it on his trophy shelf, maybe, somewhere in Jerusalem. 
That means that even this man after God's own heart that goes throughout his life, that head is with him all the time when he goes into battle. That's a pride issue. And that's a little twisted. There's nothing innately evil about skulls. It was created by God. But carrying a skull around is a little weird. That's what the narrator wants you to know. Verse 55, Now Saul watched David going out to fight the Philistines. He asked Abner, the general and his commander of the army, whose son this young man is, Abner. Abner replied, As surely as he lives, O king, I don't know. The king said, Find out who this boy is. Now this is the other thing that people say, Wait a minute. Here's your Bible contradicting itself. Saul has no idea who David is in chapter 17, even though he knew who he was in chapter 16 because he's in the palace. No, 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 no. What did Saul specifically ask for? Who's his father? Now, that's perfectly normal. There's lots of people you probably know who you have no idea who their dad is. He's not asking who David is. He's asking what family he's from. Because David is from an unknown, insignificant family. And the fact that Abner doesn't know either is the way of emphasizing David is a nobody who came from nowhere. And if you go back to Hannah's song, Hannah's song was about lifting up the the nobodies and God bringing down the... And right now in this chapter, Saul, who is the somebody, the great king, is being humiliated by a little boy and being brought down by Yahweh. And at the same time, this nobody boy that Saul has no idea who his family is, even though I doubt that Saul has been getting to know David really personally as he plays the harp. This kid who is in his own house, he doesn't even really know who he is, doesn't know what his family crest is, and he's a nobody, and God's going to be lifting him up and already has started. He also might be asking who his father's house is so he can exempt them from taxes because he made that promise. So this isn't him asking who David is. This is him asking what family does he come from. And David replied, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, and Bethlehem. Point is not, look how awesome David is. He's a man after God's own heart. Let's make him our pastor. The point is not the underdog defeating the big enemy because there's only a couple verses given to that and yet the entire chapter is about this glory given to God. The chapter's got two major points that are being developed here. First, This is all about Yahweh being greater than the Philistine gods. Like every other passage everywhere else in the Bible. The hero is not David. The heroes are never humans in the Bible. The hero is God. And this is why the author of Hebrews makes a final conclusion on the entire First Testament and says, By faith he was able to. By faith he was able to. When he put his faith in the real hero who is God, And now who is Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews? Because I just got done proving that in the last 10 chapters. That's what makes him great. Not because this is an awesome warrior on the battlefield or a superhero or anything like that. The point is that Yahweh is the hero. Yahweh is the victor. But the other point that is being made here is David is a mixed bag. He's got some huge pride issues. And yet, he's really confident in Yahweh. And he's giving glory to Yahweh. And you're not to walk away with how amazing of a man he is. You're to walk away with 
who is he going to actually become? You know that old saying, that Indian proverb of you've got two dogs in your backyard, two dogs inside of you, and one's an evil dog that just destroys everything, and the other thing is a good dog who loves and serves and is faithful and loyal, and, the, and they're, they're warring inside of you and raging against each other, and the question is who's going to win? And it's going to be the one who you feed the most. And right now you've just been introduced to the two dogs of David. And the narrator right now is letting you know that he's got a Saul in him. But he's also got a godly nature in him. And the question is when he starts getting power, who will he become? And what nature will dominate him? He's a man after God's own heart, but he's also a sinful human. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the question is, in the next 20, 30, 40 years as we watch David, which one is he going to become? And this is what you are to do from this point on. Two things. One, every story we come to in David's life, you are to ask the question, what is this saying about David? Is this developing his pride and his weaknesses, or is this developing him as a godly man? That's what the narrator wants you to do. He's giving you the criteria of how to analyze David. Now he wants you to go to every passage and not just blindly think, oh, if God saves a man from God's own heart, everything he's doing must be awesome, right? No, 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 no. The narrator doesn't want you to think like that because that's a wrong way of thinking about any human. Even you're, you're not even supposed to think about that as about Christ. Matthew's intentionally setting Christ up as another leader who will fail like everybody else. Until you get to chapter 4 and you resist the devil, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness. Now he is not like every other human that's come along. And it's the first time that you begin to realize that something is different about this guy. But up until this point, every guy, you're not to look at them that way, or a woman. Then the other thing we're going to do from this point in is what I already mentioned. How is he the same or different than Saul? And those two things are to guide all of your interpretations through the rest of this book. And that's very important. Just like anybody else in your life. What are they doing that is godly and what are they doing that's not godly? You have to apply the same rules to the Bible. And the more and more you do with David, the easier it will be to do with people in your life too. You need to pay attention to everything. Don't hear what you want to hear. Hear what is actually going on. Of all of us. So this is David. 